Hello friends. This week on the Living for Food pod, I have a wonderful content creator whose job is to quite literally play with fire. Derek Wolf started his own company, Over the Fire Cooking, almost seven years ago, and since then he has seen constant growth. We chatted grilling tips, we talked about the current caveats of social media, and we got into the misconceptions of cooking with fire. Ironically, after I ended recording this podcast episode, I had left my gas stove on, which relates a lot to this episode. All was good, but I thought that was a little bit ironic. So please join me in welcoming my wonderful conversation with Derek Wolf. So I was looking back and I realized it's been a year since we last chatted. It has. Because I chatted with August yeah. of 2022. But you were one of my first interviews like way back when, like for the new platform that we were um, publishing on, I remember. And you were like the first one. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, you were. And then that was when your second cookbook, Flavor by Fire, came out as yeah. well. Yeah, that was a long time ago. It was. Do you have any other cookbooks in the works? No, I'm going to take a little break. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I mean, do you post every single day or? No, I am. We're going back and forth on it actually right now, but I traditionally have posted every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then I will post like one time on the weekend. Okay. But social is really evolving and I, I don't feel it's almost beneficial to not post as often. So we're kind of uh, trying to see if we need to taper it back or not. It's just, it's hard because I, I, I come from a, a different social media generation when I started that would say like post as often as possible. Right. And I don't, I don't feel like that carries the same weight as it once did. Yeah, I agree. I think it's so saturated now and people are so overflowed with content that if you don't post every day, some people aren't even going to see it anyways. And then the algorithm, I'm pretty sure is just messed up right now because numbers are weird. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's been a big topic of convo with a lot of my friends. I mean, I feel like a lot of our engagement at like some beginning of august like got cut in half out of nowhere and it's even some big people as well it's really not it's a weird social is weird right now but it is august uh gary v always posts something during august to remind people that everybody's going back to school everybody's taking their last vacations before going back to school all that stuff so it it is always a huge dip yeah okay that's true I'll keep that in mind when I post our podcast next week. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. So I want to get into your background a bit. I remember talking about your story and how you started over the fire cooking your business and your brand that you needed a break from the corporate job. So you started doing something that inspired you on the weekends and that was cooking and editing for social media. When was the moment that you felt like, F it, I'm leaving the corporate world, I'm going to do content creation for good? Yeah. So when we first started the page, I was working in corporate America and I had like literally no experience cooking. It was a different time, uh, but like my initial start on the page was like resharing content that inspired me. Um, It was like a Pinterest page at, at the beginning. And then when I started posting my own stuff, we like really started exploding and, and doing well. And I, I worked in my job for almost two years. So really not a long time. And, uh, my wife had, had a really fantastic finance job and she's always been like super supportive. And so, gosh, it was just like, it, we had just finished up summer and, um, I just, I, I looked at her and I said, I think, I think I could make something out of this. She was excited about it. And I mean, she didn't mind coming home to cook food every night. So 
she mm-hmm. said I, she had just gotten a promotion. She was like, I, you know, like let's we'll set some milestones. So I've been doing it for about a year and a half, um, and really hadn't gotten this crazy, crazy following. And then that's when we kind of just decided to take the leap. I really didn't have too much, in my opinion, to go off of, and we weren't making like a lot of money. But I just mm-hmm. thought if I don't try, I would be upset. Uh, I would regret it. So we just went for it and yeah. And then kind of jumped into the deep end. Yeah. That's interesting. Are you still, we kind of touched upon this before, but are you still feeling the growth in your page that you first experienced when you started out? Or do you feel like it's a lot of people who have been following you since the beginning? No, I definitely have a lot of growth, but it's different now. Uh, You know, when, when I first started, Instagram was everything. You know, Facebook was there, but Instagram was the primary place for people to be making content uh, in that style of content. And there was really not a good competitor. And so, uh, you know, when I first jumped on, it was all photography. And so that's what we were doing in the beginning. Um, The growth for me has been is in the past like two to three years, right after COVID, you know, Instagram, TikTok came in. And I just realized that there's a bigger space in social. Everything had been kind of segregated. You're like a, you're on Instagram or you're on YouTube or you're on TikTok. There was no like, not a lot of people were traversing all of them. And there were definitely people, but not a lot. And so we decided to kind of expand into that world. And and every platform has been extremely different and attracts very different people. I jokingly say it's like they're like different countries and different cultures uh, and they have different (laughs) currency. Like the followings on each one mean different things. So like on YouTube to get one follower is more pricey. Like they have more value in one follower than maybe like, like TikTok. TikTok is easy to gain like a hundred followers very quickly. Um, But it doesn't mean that they're going to be actively engaged followers all the time. Whereas YouTube, like people like, I don't know. When they buy into you, they are like a subscriber for life. So it's been different in the growth. So Instagram kind of changed that world for me and I started to grow there. And then we really started to grow on YouTube. We started to grow on Pinterest. Uh, We started to grow on TikTok and Facebook. All of them were were everywhere. You can post videos on Pinterest? Yeah, yeah. Idea pins. We were doing just normal pins, video pins, about three years ago, right after COVID. And we started to see a lot of growth. But it really depends on your goal, too. Like, I don't necessarily come from a, like a only entertainment recipe development. I try and give people usable recipes. So if you're on Pinterest, you usually are doing it because you have a blog um, that you're trying to push people towards. Got it. So you feel like YouTube is probably the, has the most value monetarily? I don't know if it's monetarily. I would say it's harder to gain a subscriber on YouTube. Growth on YouTube is extremely hard compared to any of the other platforms. Um, I would say that some platforms are easier than others to get a lot of following. You know, it just depends on what, what you're what you're doing, but I think that um, it all comes down to like the, the, what you're producing, the quality of what you're producing and then the energy that you're producing it. So like, I think YouTube can create probably the most avid following in recent years. Like if I'm ever recognized in public or if I'm ever seen or doing anything, I can tell where they're following me. Oh, that's it. Like, uh, I think TikTok tends to be very casual or it tends to be obviously a younger crowd, you know, from like late teens to early 20s. Instagram and Facebook tends to be old, like a little bit older, like, uh, you know, 30s, maybe even early 40s, because that's a lot of the millennial generation now. And then YouTube is really funny. I Like, if I it's either... YouTube is less on age. It's more just like on excitement. I mean, those people, people that are actively following on YouTube are uh, avid, avid fans. And so they're the ones that always want to like get a photo or do something with me or whatever. It's always so funny. So it's interesting to see how it's grown. It only started on Instagram and now 
we're on every major platform. And it's interesting to see how those platforms attract different types of people. Have you had any weird fan interactions or anything? Because I'm surprised by that because I don't feel like you put your face really in the videos, but if they're avid, I mean, watchers, then they would know exactly who you are. So Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I always thought it was kind of weird that I get recognized um, because I'm not necessarily like putting my face consistently into the videos all the time. They're always at the end when I take my bite shot. But yeah, I, you know, I, I haven't really had any like uh, weird encounters with fans or anything like that at all. I do remember one time early, early, like maybe like two years into it, I was traveling with my my wife and her family and my father-in-law, you know, he's like super uh, old school blue collar worker, um, union electrician. Mm -hmm. And so it was hard for him to understand what I was doing, but he would get so excited because he loves grilling. Anyway, long story mm -hmm. short, we were traveling out to Seattle to visit my wife's best friend who had just had a baby. And uh, he was in the airport and he was jokingly saying like, man, Derek, like you keep this up. You might be like, somebody might recognize you one day. And so we get on our Southwest flight. You sit anywhere you want. So we're all sitting together and this kid is walking down the aisle and I'm sitting on the outside. And I'm just looking at my phone and this kid like stops and he backs up and he looks at me. And he's like, are you, are, are you Derek Wolf? And I was like, yeah, thinking like maybe I knew him from high school or something. Like, I, I don't know. I didn't. I And uh, he's like, dude, I love your content. And I look over and my father-in-law is just like, oh, my gosh, it happened. So that was one of the funnier moments for me. Yeah, he tells that story all the time. But, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been a really cool journey so far. That's incredible. Well, that says a lot about how you're influencing people in the kitchen, but you're also entertaining them because your videos, I feel like they're pretty quick, at least in my opinion, but I think they're really, really interesting too. Well, thank you. We try really hard. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm curious though, do you find that your audience is more male oriented? Yeah, it definitely is. And it does slightly depend on the platform, but almost almost all my platforms are heavily male-focused in the audience. Um, Pinterest is probably my only one that's closer to 50-50. And I think that that's just because it tends to be a platform that is more attractive for females. So right. overall, this is it, it's probably like 70% men, 30% female. Okay. Where are you located? Are you in the Midwest? No, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm in the Southeast. Oh, I've had some fun times in Nashville. Yeah. A, a lot time. of people have. <laughs> <laughs> Do you stay away from Broadway? Oh, with everything inside me. Yeah. It's great. I mean, I love, <laughs> I love what it's done for the city. We have so many amazing things and amenities because of it, but yeah, I definitely stay away as much as possible. <laughs> I actually remember I was there with my sister and my best friend and we did one of the pedal taverns. Oh yeah. And we were pedaling away, but I had my debit card in my back pocket and I wasn't even drinking at that point. Like I was totally sober. I whatever, I lost my debit card. Yeah. And then it fell right on the street. And then actually noticed a message these past few weeks from two years ago saying a woman found it. Oh, really? On the street. That's hilarious. Yeah, I totally missed, I missed the message and I just canceled it. It got a new one. Yeah. But yeah, Nashville is an interesting time for sure. So because you are mostly self-taught, did you cook at all as a kid or was that something that came to you later on? Yeah, so I didn't necessarily go to any professional culinary school or anything like that. Um, I think that's somewhat obvious for the big chefs in my cooking content, but I would say I grew up in a family that just loved to cook. So my dad had me like helping him grill from a young age. Um, and my mom used to be really creative in some of her recipes. Honestly, a lot of the, 
a lot of the stuff that I grew up with was my mom taking uh, leftovers and like finding unique ways to like put it all together. Uh, and so we would do that like every Thursday mm -hmm. night. My mom would take all the leftovers because we'd always go out, usually go out to dinner on a Friday. Um, and my mom would cook Monday through Thursday. Yeah, she she would always find these like super cool ways and things. Honestly, usually the best dinner was Thursday and it wasn't even the one that was like fully planned out. So I always loved playing. I love the concept of making unique things with food uh, from a really young age. And then I had a huge privilege of growing up in like an upper middle class family. So we were able to afford doing a lot of things. Um, and so we traveled a lot and we tried to go and experience all kinds of food. So I, I had a, a lot of experience from a young age trying all kinds of different food from Italian to French to just all kinds of stuff. And it wasn't until later in my life I really started to appreciate some of that. We had a lot of fun doing that and I was really most of our vacations or travel or really anything was normally centered around a culinary experience. Mm -hmm. So I was just loved what food could do. Food was always just something that made me think of family and being together. And then it really wasn't until like late college that I started to kind of dive into like open fire cooking. So it was yeah, it, it was kind of a slow process, but I always grew up really a, a appreciating and loving food. Yeah, I never understood people who don't make food their priority when they travel. I agree. I've always been like that. I need to look up the restaurants. I want to know what they're known for. I want to do all of that. And some people just don't, which is interesting. I, I get it. My, uh, you know, opposites attract and my wife and her family are always about like the exploration piece. And so whenever, like I grew up ski, uh, snowboarding and they grew up on the mountain as well. And so they would, I, I would always look forward to like the mid afternoon going down and getting like a hot cup of chili or something to like warm me up. And they were like, packing ham and cheese, cold cheese sandwiches to eat on the mountain while they were, and I was yeah. like, oh man. So it's been a learning curve on that one to appreciate those things as well. I will always make a point to focus on food whenever I do travel. Yes, I agree. Well, your wife works for you now, right? So, well, works with you. I was about to say. But she's probably, yeah, yeah she no i work for her let's be honest <laughs> yeah i'm sure uh, but she, i'm sure she makes food the priority now because she kind of has no to. she does a really great job she actually we just got back from a big and um she is not a big seafood fan and we went to this really really nice two-star michelin restaurant i am not normally a michelin star restaurant kind of guy but I really wanted to go to this one, but it was very seafood focused. So she she definitely had to yeah. to to suck it up and eat some oysters and clams and stuff. And uh, so she definitely she she did a really great job on that. She's 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 learning to appreciate it. Oh, good. I will say oysters are an acquired taste. They can be. Uh, a lot of seafood can be if you didn't grow up with it. Yeah, that's fair. I went to a Peruvian restaurant actually this past weekend, which I have never eaten Peruvian food before, but it was delicious. I think it was on a Michelin guide as well. I don't really do Michelin restaurants as much unless, you know, I'm invited or something like that. But like, it was really delicious. Have you tried Peruvian food? At yes, all? I have. I love, I love Peruvian food. A lot of the food though that I've had is probably more like street food. So maybe not anything like super duper classic uh, or traditional. With your experience and grilling with other chefs, and then you mentioned that you were around cooking as a kid, is there someone in the industry or otherwise that has inspired you at all? It doesn't have to be anyone famous. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, I have quite a few. I would say 
the my my first like exposure to open fire cooking was from a chef named Francis Malman. He is an Argentinian, you know, open fire kind of gaucho style chef. And he kind of changed my opinion on the fact that like I thought the cooking with a fire meant you had to make hot dogs and hamburgers kind of thing and so you know you could always make steak and that kind of stuff but like he really challenged it to say like no we can make all anything you want we can make it over open fire and so he was kind of the gateway for me to 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 see open fire cooking and then slowly over time i started to appreciate a bunch of different people um one of my good friends and mentors is a name uh is a man named stephen reichlin He's written multiple cookbooks, mm. best-selling cookbooks, uh, and he's kind of like a barbecue grilling guru, and he's really done a lot of documentation on, like, traditional styles of making food. He's been a great inspiration for me, and then I have a lot of really close friends of mine that have been fantastic inspirations. One of my good friends, uh, Brad Prose, he runs an account called Chilies and Smoke. Mm. He... You know, he's just been somebody that has been very consistent. He has very creative ideas. Actually, I'm sure you have seen the viral smash burger tacos uh, that just went through. So he uh, he was the one who started all that. He was the first one to kind of start doing it. Um, and he's had even an article written about him. I want to say it was on one of the big food writing uh places anyway long story short he's just really creative he likes to think outside the box we also i i grew up in quite a few different places but he lives in arizona and i lived a portion of my life in uh west texas so we we have a lot of similar appreciation for flavor profiles so yeah he's a lot of fun yeah i remember when i um interviewed you I asked you about like the Big Mac dog Mm, oh yeah (laughs) that recipe yeah do you have any others that have been crazy viral since yeah we've had a lot of like different things that have gone really viral I won't say that like a lot of the stuff that I've had that's done extremely well has not necessarily been as crazy as like the Big Mac dogs or anything like that but I did a, a a French onion steak pinwheel that got like 10, oh, 10 wow. or 12 million views. Probably the biggest one I've ever done, though, was like a Bedia grilled cheese. or more like a Bedia melt. So it was like the whole shredded beef, and then we added it onto toasted bread and then dipped it into the, like the classic uh, consomme. And that one got like, oh, man. I'm actually looking at it right now. I'm going to say it was like 20 million, like 20, 30 million views. So, yeah, it did really well. But a lot of stuff that does extremely well for me tends to be just like traditional things with a small twist. A honey chili oil chicken wings, so like making traditional chili oil and then smoking fried chicken wings, stuff like that. Even things like animal style burgers, just like really done up uh or hot honey garlic chicken wings sometimes i like to take like restaurant recipes like peter luger style of steak and just try and make it in my backyard they never are as crazy as like a smash burger taco but right (laughs) for the um this just came to my head actually do you get more popular during the super bowl for appetizers do you find yourself busier during that time with like like chicken wings and things like so that. January and February uh, tends to be hilariously enough some of my better, like best engaging months. Huh. Everybody would think, like from an engagement perspective, everybody thinks that summer, because it's grilling season, would be the best time. But uh, funny enough, summer's okay. Yeah. Leading up to the major holidays do really well, but like uh, Memorial Day and Fourth Labor Day doesn't really have as much excitement around it. But yeah, Memorial Day and 4th tend to be huge. But my best time of year is holiday and then January, February, and then it kind of rounds out at the end of March. 
so yes, we do have a lot of appetizer recipes that get hit up during Super Bowl. Okay, because you wouldn't think that people are really cooking if they're in the winter or grilling outside. So that's I wouldn't think that either, but the data says otherwise. So people love. Yeah, I guess. I so. sometimes do wonder though if it's if it is people cooking or it's them looking at food, wishing that they could be outside cooking. You know, I you know. I don't really know. A lot of my uh, following as well is also in metropolitan areas. So like LA and New York. So I do think a lot of those people uh, don't necessarily have as much ease of access to like open fire grilling and barbecue. Definitely not. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> Where are you based out of? I'm in LA. I was living in Connecticut, but I moved to LA like three months ago. Um, but I definitely do not have access to a grill. I mean, some places do, but not in New York or something when you're living in like a studio apartment. So that's interesting. Where, where in LA are you at? I'm in the West Hollywood area. Are you familiar with the areas here? I am. Yeah. Yeah. So I um, that's where I am. <laughs> cool. I uh I was born in Thousand Oaks and then I had a lot of family. Oh really? In LA. Mm -hmm. Oh, so do you come visit a lot? Yeah. Not as much as we used to. Uh, my grandparents were the one like the last ones that lived there, and now we don't really go as often since they've they've passed. But my uh my aunt lives on the Big Island, and then we'll go out and you know see family like that every once in a while. But we're we tend to stay in the southeast. But I do miss I do miss this the the LA weather. Although I will ask, is the rain? Are you just having torrential <laughs> hurricane weather right now? Oh oh, hurricane, tornado, earthquake, all of it. Y'all had a tornado? That's what my friend told me, but I didn't see that. Maybe it was somewhere hmm. like more south. No, honestly, weirdly enough, my neighborhood is totally fine. I had zero flooding. I was expecting my car to be like flooded because the garage is underneath the apartment complex. So I thought it would be flooded, but there was not one drop of water. Our pool, we didn't even drain it before the hurricane and it's totally fine. And I walked outside yesterday and it was just like leaves on the ground. So I guess it was fine. <laughs> I mean, the earthquake was a little scary, but I only got the tremor part of it, I believe. So nothing. Huh. Crazy. Yeah, I just thought it was like my neighbors moving or something. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really recognize it was an earthquake until I got the notification on my phone. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, definitely don't miss the earthquakes. That's for sure. But I get it. We, uh, I moved to the Southeast maybe like 15 years ago. We moved around a bunch, but yeah, I do miss the weather a little bit. We have very interesting weather. It's currently like 90 something degrees, but real feel is like 105 outside. So, Ew. and it's just all humid. It's just humidity. Oh, so. and then you cook with fire outside? <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm very drenched in sweat by the end, but <laughs> I love it. Anything for the video. <laughs> Anything for the video. Anything for the gram. I noticed too. Um, okay, I did some digging on your LinkedIn, not to be a weirdo, but I do my research. Nice. <laughs> so. Um, I noticed you have a lot of marketing experience too. Do you think that's... I do. Has that helped you? Yeah. So different pieces have definitely helped me. So like I, I'd studied uh, statistical analytics in college. Okay. And kind of like my biggest piece in uh, what I started with in the world uh, when I jumped into like the corporate world and stuff was doing data analytics. And so... Understanding data, understanding trends and stuff like that has definitely given me a, a leg up when I first started social. So I think that that's been a big piece for me uh, in kind of growing and seeing big uh, changes and understanding 
quick changes. But overall, yeah, I have a lot of different marketing experience. Um, I've had a lot of fun doing it, uh, learning how to build good, uh, telling a story well or whatever, and captivating an audience. It does. It helps when you can when you know certain details and how to hook people quicker. But there's a lot of people out there that are doing a really great job that have little to no marketing experience. So true. I mean, good for you. I did not do well in stats. So yeah. it was very confusing. But I also thought my career was going to be in math and science until I realized that my grades did not reflect that I'm good at math or science. <laughs> so <laughs> I quickly pivoted to my creative side. <laughs> but when you look at other content creators or businesses in general that seem to maybe not be getting the numbers that they should, do you recognize what they're doing wrong? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. I will say that social is a lot more complex than it used to be. And every channel is like a different country. I mean, like every channel has different, every platform is like a different country. So they all have different problems or pros and cons or whatever that you're kind of looking for uh, and trying to understand. I think for me, like we're looking at like Instagram and even Facebook, so just meta in general, uh, engagement is terrible right now. You know, I've had a few pieces of content in the past couple of weeks do extremely well, but I'm I'm way more used to consistent content doing well uh, or content just consistently doing well. And that doesn't mean that they always go viral, but they're always hitting certain marks for me. Uh, and so I think that sometimes it's the content. Like I will say my my... Whenever anybody asks me, like, Derek, what am I doing wrong? And I'll have a lot of young content creators, or uh, I say young, a lot of these guys are sometimes older than me, but I mean, just like they're young <laughs> on the platform. Okay. And they're just trying to understand what they're doing wrong. And I, I always want to say, never, ever blame the algorithm. Because the truth is, is even if it is the algorithm, like I think on Instagram right now, the algorithm, whatever is going on, like, I don't know what is going on, but... Uh, you can still do well, but it's just a lot harder this month. Yeah. That being said, though, don't ever blame the algorithm because the truth is, is like 75 to, you know, 90% of the time, it, your content could be better. And I think that I don't want to ever look at the algorithm as like a crutch. Your original That's question was, can I look at people and see what they're doing wrong? Yes, I can, but it doesn't always mean that that's like gonna fix them overnight. I think the hardest piece about social is that it's a lot like weight loss or gaining muscle. It, like it is not one quick fix. It is uh, a myriad of small decisions made over a, a period of time and they add up after a while. And so I think that there are, it's hard on social because you can look at some other creators that just get it right like the first time it's like a person that's born with you know incredible genetics like <laughs> i don't know there's nothing that you can do about it there there are content creators that are just good they're just good and then there are guys that have worked really hard for a really long time to figure out how to do it well and so i wish i had a moment in the beginning that I saw a need, like the big moment for me was when I saw that nobody was really doing the all tasty videos were extremely popular when I first started getting on uh, and things were starting to shift towards videos within the first two years of me being on social. And I realized nobody was doing that for grilling and barbecue. Uh, and so I just started trying it. On the niche. Yeah, and, and, and people loved it because there's a huge audience for grilling and barbecue. And so it started with open fire cooking. Then I started diving more deeper into the different styles, open fire, uh, smoking, grilling, all kinds of stuff. And so we started to grow really well uh, off of all of that. But it was small decisions and learning how to do things differently. And now we're the content we made five years ago would flop completely right now because it just isn't what people are looking for. Um, 
So it is about growth and changing and learning. But even then, like I still try things and it doesn't work. So I think that while I would say, I wish I could tell people exactly what they could be doing better by looking at their content. Sometimes it's just throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. So. Yeah. Well, this goes against every single thing you just said, but if you want to look at mine and tell me what I'm doing wrong, (laughs) (laughs) let me know. Sure. Of course. Perfect. Yeah. I feel like too with what you're doing, there's definitely an aspect of danger, especially for beginners or honestly anyone who is working with fire. Do you have any tips on how to do that safely? Have you any, had any mishaps yourself? I've gotten really lucky that any of the mishaps that I've had have been corrected pretty quickly or haven't gotten into too much trouble, but who knows? Currently, uh, I'm actually smoking a pork butt right now. So, uh, (laughs) the grill could be on fire for all I know. And, you know, (laughs) do you need to go run and check? (laughs) (laughs) I know I'll be all right. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I can see, I will say the, the, the misconception about open fire cooking is that it's extremely dangerous. I do think that open fire cooking, I see a lot of similarities with like surfing. I, I grew up in a family that surfed. I mean, we, we lived in Southern California, but the one thing that like I remember my dad telling me, it's like, you know, it is extremely fun. It's once you get it, it's extremely addictive and really easy, but you always have to remember that the ocean will always destroy you like the ocean will do whatever it wants Mm -hmm. and so i think that learning to go with it and know and see the tells uh has been a big piece of that growth and one was one of the things that i learned at the beginning from like nature and so fire is nature it is somewhat natural because it does naturally happen with like lightning strikes and all that stuff. But like, I will say even like wildfires, we have to appreciate like it, it is as terrifyingly destructive as it is. It's also extremely beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so we have to like, it's just, we have to appreciate it's, it's raw power. Uh, And so I think that every time I cook over open fire, I am always extremely careful. And I think that there are a lot of people that, Mis miscalculate how powerful fire can be. Whether it's just as simple as like you accidentally grab a cast iron skillet that was close to the fire and burn yourself, like I've burned myself many times, all the way to like, I mean, I'm cooking with fat and oil a lot. You know, just being extremely careful. Fat and oil want to be friends with fire and they make big fires. Yeah, understanding that, appreciating that, just knowing the dynamics of it. But it still, I mean, dude, I've I've caught things on fire. Luckily, not in the recent few months have I done that. But like, I've you knock know, I've caught in, yeah, knock on wood. But like everybody, <laughs> yeah, fire is, uh, fire will do what it wants, just like the ocean. Like it has a mind of its own. And I think that that's the f- most fun part about and why I jumped into open fire cooking is because I really loved the concept that every cook, no matter what you intend on doing with it, you have to learn to deal with the fire and understand what it's saying and then just let it do what it wants to do. And I think that it's kind of a, I don't know, it's a lesson in life. Like there are things that um, you have absolutely no control over. You just have to, learn to mold and bend with what they have. And I think it's so funny because I'm definitely somebody that likes to control the uncontrollable. And so this has been a big piece in like just allowing food to be what it, or allowing the fire to do what it needs to do. Um, And that's even with open fire or uh, even with like smoking and barbecue. I mean, it's a very true statement. Every cook is different. And then once you throw in the other elements, like wind and rain, heat, the food that you're cooking specifically, 
um, the humidity, the elevation, all of it changes. And it's really fun. It changes it. It makes it unique. It makes it a challenge every single time. I relate to the control thing on a very deep level. <laughs> yeah, I think most people do. Yeah, I'm like, if it's, that's why I stopped um, planning elaborate birthdays too, because I would try to bar hop or control when every single person was going to be there. And if it didn't work out, then we would miss our reservation. Then we would mix the next place we were going to. So it was very stressful. So I decided to take a step back from doing that and just be chill. You know, can't always control everyone else. It's true. It's a hard, it's a hard lesson. And it's one thing that I still am not perfect at for sure. But what I do for a living helps me to get to a place of accepting like once that fire's lit, I have little to no control over it except to just allow it to do what it needs to do, read its cues, and and try and cook the best that I can. And I think that's another fun thing that uh, another piece that I add into it. Most of the recipes that I'm cooking, I literally thought of or written down, and I've never cooked them before. Yeah. I've never touched them. Uh, some of them I definitely have, but most of the time, like some of them are like, you know, I'll do a different type of steak pinwheel and I had a good idea. So like I, you know, I'll get better at doing it over time, but most of the recipes I've never done before. I'm just kind of okay. having fun with it and see what happens. Like yesterday I had a, I have a really good friend. He runs an account called Jort's Kitchen. Uh, he's really okay. funny and he did uh, salmon wrapped shrimp. So like super thinly sliced salmon wrapped around like jumbo tiger prawns. And I've never done it before. Oh, wow. and I, like I asked him, I was like, could I just make my own recipe with it? And he, you know, yeah. he loved it. And um, I, I accidentally let the salmon get a little too room temperature. So when I started slicing it, it was not cold enough, not firm enough. So we had to throw that in the freezer for like 20 minutes to like get it up. So like, I, I don't know. I like still made little mistakes as I was going, uh, trying to figure yeah. it out. I love that. What would you say is the most underrated ingredient or food to cook on the grill? I think chicken thighs can be like, especially boneless chicken thighs. I don't cook them mm -hmm. enough on social because I, I feel like they don't look as sexy as like steak or mm -hmm. chicken wings or like some of the other mm -hmm. things that you can cook. Some of the best food I've ever had though was like really well cooked grilled chicken thighs. So I think that that's probably one of the more underrated foods that you can cook over fire. Okay. And because you, I mean, you're talking about like what looks sexy online, <laughs> steak, cook a lot of steaks. So what's your go-to steak seasoning? Ooh, I think probably the, the best overall is just going to be salt, pepper, garlic. Um, very, very classic SPG. It has pretty much everything that you need there. But then I have... You know, I make my own seasonings as well. And so I have a, a couple of them that are really fun. Um, I have a... Spiceology, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, with Spiceology. So I have a smoked garlic jalapeno lager, which is... That was one of the beer-infused seasonings that I have, but it's kind of like an amped up salt, pepper, garlic. That. Yeah. So yeah. I really like that one. Uh, if you want to kind of spice... Get a little smokier, spicier SPG on steak... And then I also have one called Bourbon Prime, where it's a bourbon-infused, like, super umami-packed steak seasoning. And that's those are probably my two favorites when I'm cooking steak. I love I love mushroom, like, powder on steak. Oh, mushroom? Really amps. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I've used that. I've recently used orange zest, mm, which yeah. I think is pretty, pretty good. Do you normally opt for alcohol-infused, like, barbecue rubs and stuff like that? I mean, how does that enhance it? I don't... Yeah, so that whole process was kind of, like, something that we stumbled upon in the beginning with Spiceology a couple of years ago. Adding, yeah. like, adding alcohol, like, powdered alcohol into seasonings is not, like, a new concept. So there's been a lot of like bur like adding adding bourbon extract 
more or less has not necessarily been it's been done a lot the beer one was a relatively newer idea when we came around with it but it still had been around for a little while the thing i'll say is like i personally love adding alcohol into food because i think that alcohol has a lot of amazing flavor to begin with uh, and so it mm-hmm. is a good way of adding moisture onto your food to keep it well flavored while also like adding a lot of flavor. Uh, so instead of like spritzing with water or even beef broth or whatever you're going to do, which is still fantastic um, to give moisture. I like spritzing with beer. Uh, we have this pork butt on traditionally. I would add like a little bit of beef broth with some beer into our foil for when we put it back in for the crutch to get it really like uh, shreddable. Mm. But yeah, I think that all of them add different flavors. I love adding, I won't do it today, but I love adding like cider to be, uh, to pork um, to give it like apple and pork just works really well. So I think that those are flavor profiles that can work really well. Beer and bourbon tend to work for red meats a lot. Um, but it tends to be for things that, in my opinion, take a lot longer to cook or they are going to absorb that flavor. So not necessarily adding anything to like grilled steak unless it's in the seasoning. Okay. What what did you say before? Did you say sire? Cider. Yeah, like, like spiked cider. Oh, cider. Oh, 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 I was like, what is sire? I haven't heard of that. Yeah, that sounds delicious. What would you say is the biggest mistake you think people make when grilling like veggies? Because sometimes I want them really quickly and I know they take a little bit more time. Yeah. Funny enough, I do eat my vegetables. Uh, My page (laughs) looks like I only eat meat. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So don't worry. My my wife is a uh, like a, a fitness instructor uh, part-time. Oh, so okay. she very much makes sure that I, I eat well. Yeah, vegetables are, are unique. I think that one of the biggest things that we've done is that we just, we found a flavor profile that works for us. And then we just kind of replicate that onto most of our, our vegetables. So whether it's, you know, asparagus or green peas or uh, broccoli or really anything, we tend to add like a little bit of acidity, whether it's lemon juice or red wine vinegar, and then a little bit of salt, uh, a little bit of butter, and then red chili flakes. And we just like, we, we repeat that over and over and over again. I don't think that I'm the best person to get, come up with creative vegetable recipes, but I have learned that adding like a little bit of fat and a little bit of acidity just really like takes vegetables to the next level. I've been adding red wine. It's yeah. like I drink a little bit of it and then I put it in, in the pan and then it goes back and forth. But it's really good with vegetables. Oh, yeah, yeah. I believe that. So let's talk about what's next for you. Um, I know you have, on the entrepreneurial side of things, are there any other consumer products in the works? Yeah. Um, I know you the seasonings and then you have one other thing that I'm blanking on. Yeah. So we just launched a new brand called fire. Yeah. The hot sauces. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So we're starting with hot sauces, but we're, we're hot sauces is just like a little teaser. Um, We're a small company, you know, it's, it's locally run good people. Uh, In fact, the guy who started Spiceology, a good friend of mine, Pete Taylor is, the guy who's helping me Mm -hmm. start this. Yeah, we're starting with hot sauces, but we have our eyes set on some bigger things. We're gonna Mm -hmm. gonna start in provisional kind of food stuff, like sauces and and such. And then we're slowly gonna be moving our way into some bigger bigger things, but just takes time. It's gonna be a little bit before we're able to do all the big things, but we got a lot of stuff in the works. So very excited about that one. I don't intend on making a cookbook like another one, maybe in like five years or something like that, but who knows what I'll be doing in five years. And then the seasonings, we've had a ton of success with the seasonings. We'll see what kind of happens from here. I feel like I've scratched a lot of the issues that I wanted to to do in the seasoning world. And now I have a couple little one-off 
seasoning concepts that I would love to to go after. But mm -hmm. for this year, I'm probably done. And then next year, I might come out with like a a single launch or maybe maybe two. But outside of that, it's it's pretty good. I, um, otherwise than that, though, I mean. We're really just pushing on uh, trying to be more and more creative in making usable content on our website and giving people like really good ways to create the the recipes at home. Uh, a lot of people love to, you know, if they're going to cook anything, they're going to probably search for it on Google. And maybe I'm just mm -hmm. too millennial in thinking that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that it. everybody wants like a you know they find something interesting they want to cook it it's in my opinion a little easier to just search the same recipe title on google and find the legitimate recipe with everything written out in the same video so i'm just trying to make yeah my content as user-friendly as possible and as we kind of grow and it'll be interesting to see i think that we'll be slowly toning back how much content we're creating because the the world of social just doesn't need three recipes a week anymore. People want better quality recipes, but less of them. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing uh, slowly over time. And yeah, see what sparks the interest. I feel like I've scratched a lot of the itches that I started with. And in, in fact, in about a month, this all it'll be seven years since I started over the fire cooking. Um, and... Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I think they say if you make it to seven years with your business, it'll you're more likely to make it another 10 than you are to like fail. So mm. I don't know if that's true. My, that's what my sister said. So who knows if that's <laughs> real or not, <laughs> so but it made me feel good. <laughs> I, I think it's true. We'll, we'll make, make it, it true. true. But yeah, yeah, that's kind of the future for over the fire a lot of push into fire and making real usable tangible products growing in the seasonings i still actually have maybe like five very unique seasonings um, we're probably gonna keep the beer infused lines where we're at and go after some mm -hmm. more just stuff that hasn't really hit the market that i think are really really good ideas do you yourself opening a storefront when you have enough products maybe at some point uh maybe at some point you know it's been really great to not have a uh customer facing place uh everybody wants me to open like a restaurant or something like that which i think is so funny because like why would i i, I don't want to do that i don't as of right now, I can wake up at 9 a.m. and start cooking by 3 p.m. Like, I, if yeah. I had a restaurant, I'd be waking up at 4 a.m. every single morning. So, yeah, yeah, I think the storefront maybe could happen for sure. But it'll probably be a little bit before we before we do any of that. I'm, I'm enjoying the season of life that we're in right now. That's fair. I will say, though, I think if you opened a barbecue joint or something, you'd do really well. I'm sure. I, I think, it, I think would. it would too. A lot of work. And that's just the thing. It would be, it'd be a lot of work. And we have a lot of fun just feeding our family and friends. And all our friends, sure. Uh, you know, my friends have been really good sports. They've eaten a lot of really cold food. And mm -hmm. they've been a part of a lot of photo shoots. And uh, <laughs> they've helped a lot. So I feel like I already have a restaurant <laughs> with them. Yeah, um, honestly. But overall, no, yeah, you you're one hundred percent committed, and it's your absolute dream. Otherwise, don't put yourself through. Yeah, and you know, those are the guys that like I always say I'm just like a uh, fire cooking enthusiast. And I'm not like I'm just a cook. I'm not a chef. Like a chef, in my opinion, has this desire to like feed people all the time. And I know everybody has different definitions of a chef, but that's what I would say is somebody that legitimately has like a restaurant or something that is feeding people all day, uh, every day. And I just don't have that desire. I, I love the exploration of food. I love creating content and I love kind of doing unique things over open pit fire. But I also don't like, I, I don't want to have to smoke 15 briskets every, you know, Thursday, <laughs> Friday and Saturday. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, that makes sense. All right, I have a short game for you if you're into it just to kind of wrap up the podcast. I do it with every single guest. It's basically like a little lightning round. So I'm going to name three popular food trends right now, and you're going to tell me if it's a smash or pass kind of deal. Got it. All right, number one, compound butter. Smash. I know, I love compound butter too. What's your go-to? I tend to do chopped parsley, red red chili flakes, and like baked garlic. And then I'm mixing that in. Nice. All right, number two, surf and turf. I feel like you're going to say yes to this. Yeah, smash. I will say this. Is definitely a smash. Surf and turf, this is going to probably cause controversy. I, I think that like mm-hmm. it's... It looks a lot better than it tastes nine times out of ten. I think that individually the steak would be better, or individually the the, the seafood would be better. Uh, when you combo it mm-hmm. together, it's like it's a lot of food. So that's fair. It's also very expensive. <laughs> yeah, usually very expensive. All right, last one: tacos on the grill. Ooh, I mean, smash! It depends on the taco. Are we talking like smash, like smash tacos, like we're cooking them on a grill, or we're making like grilled meat for tacos? Um, no, cooking them on the grill, not grilled meat for tacos. I'd say smash, like smash burger tacos are very good. Okay, I honestly haven't done that, and I think I looked at your page and I think you did it. Yeah, we have. But I've never thought of that, so it looked really good. My last and final question for you. If there is one cooking utensil product or appliance that you think everyone should splurge on, what would it be and why? So I'll give you one that I think every person should just have in general. Okay. And then one that I think you could splurge on. The one that I think everybody should have in general is go on to Amazon and buy welding gloves. Okay. Welding gloves can take temperatures up to like 15, 1600 degrees. And they are, if you want to get into open fire cooking, I highly recommend having welding gloves. They're just going to save, you can move logs with them touch the fire with them, move steering hot cast iron skillets. Like, they're just really a lifesaver and they keep you very safe and they make you feel very confident when dealing with the fire. So I think everybody should have those all the time from a, like just something that's really cool or unique, man. I like, I really do think the Brio grill is something that everybody could splurge on. So these guys are based out of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, John and, uh, his friend started this company there. They have this, uh, mm-hmm. they're quote unquote, smokeless fire pits. I say smokeless okay. in air quotes because it'll never, it'll never be perfect. But the concept is, is that they can, the ventilation system that they have underneath, like retracts the smoke and then it recombusts into the fire. Um, so oh. it'll all, it always is kind of circulating in. So, uh, like someone, Solo Stove uh, utilizes their patent for this. So they have the patent, but the Brio is the one who invented it and they're American-made company. They're really amazing, but they are expensive. And they have grills that are portable or grills that you can, you know, set in as a centerpiece in your backyard. But they're fire pits that can be grills. So I think that that's the cool thing I like about the Brio is that they are something that you can cook on, cook your steak, do everything you want to do. And then when you're done, pull off the grill uh, and pull off the post that you use for having the grill grate up there. And and you can Mm -hmm. have a fire pit and you can drink beer or cider or wine or whatever next to it. You can make s'mores. Like it's just very uh, utilitarian grill for sure. Yeah. S'mores sound so good. Oh, yeah. Maybe not in this heat. Yeah, not in your heat. (laughs) Definitely not. 
Definitely not. I honestly, whenever someone says girl to me, do, have you watched The Office? Of course. I'm trying to think of what scene, though. Okay. The George Foreman grill oh, when yeah. he, like, burns his <laughs> Yeah. Waking up to the, the smell of. of bacon every morning. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he, like, uh, put the whatever wrap, bubble wrap around his foot. Classic. I can't not think of the George Foreman. That's fair. Very fair. <laughs> not to uh, not to dismiss your wonderful answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was really fun. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Of course. You can follow Derek Wolf at Over the Fire Cooking on Instagram to keep up with his latest barbecue and grilling recipes. Cool. Is there anything else you'd like? mention no no you can find me at over the fire cooking everywhere on all on all major platforms all of the platforms that we discussed even pinterest even pinterest (laughs) hey fellow foodies thanks for listening don't forget to leave me a review and while you're at it make sure to follow me at living for food pod on instagram or tiktok or email me at livingforfoodpod at gmail.com. Let me know what you're cooking up this week, which guests you would like to see on the podcast, or tell me your opinions on the latest viral food trend. Until next time, 